We were in the sacristy before the first service at 3 o'clock, and Joe asked me, how you doing? I said, you know, Christmas and Easter are the hardest sermons for me, not because the message isn't clear, but because the message is so familiar. We've, we've heard the Christmas story time and again. We've, we've heard the Christmas story in the words of these beautiful Christmas carols time and again. And so it's, it's always interesting as a pastor, how do you find something new to say when, when you're trying to communicate the good news of Christ on a familiar Christmas Eve service? And Joe very wisely said, that's not our job. The Holy Spirit takes care of that. Amen. Amen. Thank you for the good word. But we come together tonight to worship the Jesus who was born to us. We come to hear and to contemplate afresh the Christmas story. But I want us to remember that this isn't just the story of Mary or the story of Joseph. This is our story. It's not a story that started just 2,000 years ago. It started many years before that because there was a, an epilogue to the story. There was the words of the prophet that prepared God's people for a Messiah to come, a king in the line of David in the line of the promise of Abraham before that. And so there were these expectations. There was an understanding among God's people that what was happening was happening to them, for them, and with them. And so I want us to hear tonight, and I hope when we leave tonight, we understand that the Christmas story is our Christmas story. Listen to these words from the first chapter of Hebrews. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. There is an expectation for a king to come to overthrow the Roman rule, to rule in the line of David. And therefore, when we hear the Christmas story, we wonder why a young gal without influence, unmarried, why shepherds, not leaders in the community, how is it that this new king was born in a stable and laid in a animal food trough that we very cutely call a manger. It's a strange thing. But now listen to where this text goes in Hebrews chapter 2. It says this, now, So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father, that is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. We, through faith, are made holy 
we through faith are the brothers and sisters. We have the same father. Therefore, the Christmas story is our story. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about my Christmas memories. What I remember on Christmas Eve is that we would leave our house with the big Christmas tree and all the presents underneath and the train going around the Christmas tree, and we would drive over to my grandma's house where we would have Swedish meatballs and where we would see in her front window about a three-foot aluminum uh, Christmas tree that had lights shining on it and a little carousel to turn it around. It was the one night of the year when I realized that my heritage was Swedish. Oh, and we had the rosettes, you know, with the, they look kind of like a rose and, and powdered sugar on them. <laughs> Don't forget the rosettes. And so... Earlier this week, I made a phone call to my son just to kind of ask the question, Paul, what is your Christmas memory? What's one thing you remember about Christmas before you were 18 years old? And you know what he told me? The Ludafisk dinner at the Sons of Norway. He says he remembers the long rows of tables and all the people there. And he remembers the fish served with this cream sauce and butter and he was surprised that he was the only one going back for more. I wasn't surprised, but he was. My son, Paul, knew he was of Norwegian heritage because his mom knew that she was Norwegian every day of the year. A little different than our family. Family traditions are a wonderful part of Christmas. I hope that as you gather together today and tomorrow, you are enjoying some of those family traditions in your own homes. I also know that there are times when things happen in our lives and those family traditions may not be able to happen anymore. One of the gals that was leaving the first service today, I knew that this would be her first Christmas without her husband who died a few weeks ago. She said, we're going to do everything the same and it will all be different. I understood. I understand. But family Christmas traditions are often a time when stories get told and we remember the connections of our ancestors and, and who we're connected to, who we are. For my wife Marilyn, that was Norwegian. And for us, at least on Christmas, it was Swedish. Most of my uh, childhood, um, church was actually not a part of our Christmas tradition. I'm so delighted that for you it is. It is great to have you here and together. When I became a junior in high school, my faith became very important to me, and I remember going to my grandmother and asking her if she would like to go to the late service on Christmas Eve to go to church with me. And from that point on, every Christmas Eve at 11 o'clock, my grandmother and I would go and share Christmas worship together 
it became a highlight of my life for the rest of her life. But again, today, I want us to think about how the Christmas story is our story. How the the story of Christmas, the words of the prophets, the telling of the story of Christmas in the Gospels is our family story. We are connected to it. It changes the reality of our lives. And so let's think a bit more about how this story may define us. It still amazes me that this king coming would show up to our world and be born of a young virgin, announced to shepherds, born in a stable. I'm not sure how that makes a lot of sense, but I want us to listen to especially these two verses in the Gospel of Matthew at the Christmas story that will remind us why his story is our story. What day is it that we celebrate tomorrow? What is it called? Christmas. It comes from the word Christ Mass. And so we're reminded, even as we prepare later in this service to receive communion, that that Holy Communion is a time when... uh, We receive the body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. It becomes our story when we are connected to the presence of Christ in the Holy Sacrament. And one of the great privileges I have being a pastor is as I give, excuse me, as I give out communion, I get to tell you that it's the body of Christ given for you. That this gift of Jesus is a gift for you, for the forgiveness of your sins, to make you right with God, to identify you as a child of God. And so listen to this first chapter of Matthew where it says this, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall be for he shall save his people from their sins the very name jesus means savior and we're told that the reason god took on flesh and come in came into the world was specifically for this purpose to save his people from their sins Jesus came to save us. Now, as a little kid, I was a little confused by the next chapter in Matthew, chapter 2, because in chapter 2 it says this, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Did they miss that or what? I was thinking the other day that maybe it was sort of like my wife Marilyn. My wife Marilyn's uh, uh, name on her birth certificate is Marilyn Jeanette Rude. But when she married me, she dropped her last name, or her middle name, I should say, and she took her last name as her middle name, so now she's Marilyn Rude Cords, which I like, and she doesn't seem to mind. So that's wonderful. 
But, but you know, the name got dropped. And I'm saying, well, did the name Emmanuel just sort of get dropped from Jesus somehow? Maybe he picked up the name Christ, and that was a joke. It hasn't worked at either of the other services either. <laughs> I'm going to try to deliver it a little differently at 9 o'clock, but I'm 0 for 3 right now. But there's an important understanding here. And that is the understanding that biblical names carry meaning and purpose. And so, yes, Jesus was sent into the world as Savior to save his people from their sins, to save his people from their separation from God. You know, one of the things that often bothers me about Christmas is the whole Santa Claus thing. Now, it's not... It's not just Santa Claus. It's the specific part of the Santa Claus story that I heard so often when I was a kid. You know, making a list, checking it twice, going to find out who's... Isn't it interesting that that actually tends to become more of an Advent song? You know, that that is, the parents want to start in early December because they know their children will behave better because they don't want to be on the naughty list. But I got to ask you, have you ever given your child a piece of coal? Have they ever not behaved well in December? But we give them good gifts anyway, why? Why? Because we love them. God sent his son Jesus into the world because he loves us. There's no checking the list twice. There's no naughty or nice. Whether we're naughty or nice, he wants us to know that he loves us and that he sent Jesus to forgive us. And so again, we see in that second part of Hebrews, that is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Christmas is our family story. Christmas, the forgiveness of our sins, the coming of Jesus, God with us in the good times and the bad that changes our reality and makes us different. We have a local pastor here whose name is John Ortberg. And John wrote an amazing book called Who Is This Man? And interestingly enough, Condoleezza Rice wrote the foreword of that book. And in it she writes this, Those who followed him would begin to act as if Every life is worthy. The community of people called Christians would minister to the sick and disabled and build hospitals, pursue universal education, spread teaching through universities, and lift up the poor in faraway places, for they would inherit the earth. In this book... John Ortberg describes how the world today is a different place because of the Christmas story. And in large part, the world today is a different place because the followers of Jesus changed things. 
A big part of the evangelism that took place, especially in Europe, took place because followers of Jesus, our brothers and sisters in Christ, as a part of their story, continued to serve and care for people who were sick and dying, even though they were highly contagious during the plague. It kind of reminds me a few years ago how we really began to recognize and call our first responders, our nurses and our doctors, heroes because of their willingness to continue to care for people with COVID, even though it was highly contagious. In our world today, we have largely forgotten that education began in the church. A person in the church, a follower of Jesus, one of our brothers and sisters in our family, saw that the children doing labor in the factories, even as little children, six days a week, needed to have an opportunity to learn. And so they started schools on Sunday, the one day a week they had off, and they taught them to read and write and do arithmetic. And in the reading and writing, they let them learn how to read the Bible and learn the story of Jesus. Sunday school became public school and they pushed for all children to have access to universal education. In our world today, especially with the debate supposedly between science and religion, we forget that the universities were started by the church. That people of faith, our brothers and sisters in Christ, believe that God created the world in order and therefore we could study it and understand it and develop it. And so the church began schools of higher education and universities in Paris, Oxford, Harvard, USC, all started as Christian universities, the majority did. And I skipped over the fact that that caring for the sick also developed schools of nursing and hospitals and many hospitals around the world again were started by the followers of Jesus to care for the sick as Jesus did. You see, brothers and sisters in Christ, the world is a different place. John Ortberg has demonstrated in his book that nothing in our human existence has been quite the same since that faithful Sunday long ago. We join Johann Sebastian Bach, one of our Lutheran composers, in saying, as he wrote at the beginning of his compositions, God help me, and we glory in the belief that our Lord answers but we too often fail to say, as Bach did at the end of our, his magnificent works, everything to the glory of God. You see, the Christmas story that started probably 4,000 years ago and then took on a fresh meaning on the day of Jesus' birth a couple of thousand years ago is a story of Christmas that continues through God's people today so that through us, we, brothers and sisters in Christ, identified as loved and forgiven children of God are a part of the light that shines in the darkness of our world. And so our Christmas continues. Let Christmas begin in your life afresh today as you recognize that this is our story and that this story changes everything. A Savior 
who came into the world for you to be forgiven, to be renewed, to be brought into the presence of your heavenly Father and to be called a child of God. Our Christmas story continues.